National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Pope Francis has announced this week he will consecrate Russia and Ukraine to the Blessed Mother on March 25th. What's the significance and historical context of this consecration? Register columnist Father Raymond D'Souza has the answer. Plus, Father Raymond gives us insights into another historical event, a canonization 400 years ago that gave us five very important saints, all of whom you'll recognize immediately. Father talks of these holy companions and how they helped the church then and now. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio, joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Executive Editor in Washington Bureau Chief. Hi, Matthew. Hello. Great to be with you. You too. And, and before we turn to the spiritual matters that uh, I teased in the show's intro with Father Raymond D'Souza, I have invited Andrea Pachati Bayer, another register columnist, to give us some updates on practical matters for Catholics. And that relates to the freedom to practice our faith. Uh, Andrea is host of Religious Freedom Matters, which just aired its third series of podcasts at ncregister.com. This time it's on school choice in education and how that relates to our faith and to our liberty. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks, Jeanette, for having me. It's always great to be with you guys. It is always fun. Um, Andrea, you've been very busy lately um, producing, you know, another uh, series of five inter- podcasts that interview five wonderful, um, wonderful people who have great insights into where we are in Catholic education these days. Um, uh, but you've also been writing on the latest challenges on religious liberty, which is kind of your regular beat with us at the register. That's um, where you focus and and give us so many insights. Uh, The latest of which was this weekend related to Sister Dee Dee Burns, a case that um, a lot of people uh, in our listening audience um, follow. Uh, She's obviously a sister and a medical doctor who... um, whose license was revoked, um, a medical license was revoked because she didn't get vaccinated. Um, so that had a nice twist at the end of the week last week. Um, and I'd love for you to fill our listeners in on where Sister Dee Dee is now um, in terms of her license and what we might expect from that case. Well, it's one of those wonderful consequences of putting the pressure of a lawsuit, I think, and <laughs> and storming heaven in yes. prayer. Um, Sister Didi was informed by email that because um, she had requested, she had not received a COVID vaccine as mandated in the District of Columbia for healthcare workers, she had filed for a request for a religious exemption. She was informed after almost six months that her request was denied and her license would be revoked if she didn't get vaccinated. Now she was going to stand her ground and anyone that knows of Sister Didi knows that she is formidable woman uh, that that works and serves based on principle mm-hmm. and her faith. Um, she was able to access some legal supports, and the Thomas More Society, a group that's been defending the importance of religious exemptions against vaccine mandates, took up her cause. They filed a lawsuit against the District of Columbia and their health officials, and shortly after, just a matter of days, the city backpedaled and said, okay, we're going to give you your license back 
and it will be valid until September of this mm -hmm. year. But then there was a little bit of a, a hook, and they said, of course, we may revoke it if it's not in the public interest. Um, so their lawyers of, of Sister Didi are still looking at this. They've been communicating with um, health officials and the, the lawyers in the District of Columbia to say, what exactly does that mean? Right. And does this mean that, you know, she's got a license until you decide she doesn't? Fortunately, Sister Didi was not to sit around and reopened her free medical clinic, scheduled sur surgeries for indigent and uh, undocumented people in the district who are not served by anyone else and was able to get back to work. But it's, it is just another case of, you know, when, when government officials um, step on religious freedom and, and individual rights to exercise, you really need to push back. And right. um, God bless Sister Didi for doing that. She's also concerned that her case n not be just a one-off because she's a bit of a, a personality, but that the district is going to grant religious exemptions for anyone who has a religious objection to receiving the COVID vaccine. Right. She was concerned that there were other doctors uh, like her um, who were objecting and hadn't yet received, um, yeah, just uh, exemptions. So I really liked one line in your in your uh, column on, on that that stated that during the time when she was waiting for the city to clarify whether or not uh, she had the exemption, she continued uh, to practice, not only in her medical clinic, uh, but also in in other hospitals that where she volunteered her services, she weren't wasn't getting paid for her services. None of those entities uh, complained or objected to the fact that she was not vaccinated. And so, you know, it just goes to show you the public <laughs> didn't seem to mind. So she seemed to be acting still in the pu public's best interest. It's weird for the city, right, to have all of that power to decide what's in public. Uh, best interest. Sometimes the hospital is the closest place to that uh, public interest, and we need to allow uh, them to to weigh in. Uh, so, very interesting case, Andrea, and thank you for uh, you know covering that and and being on top of the story. You kind of led with um, the news when it came to uh, how the city responded last week, and we we appreciate that at the register, um, especially when we have the chance to edge out in front of others uh, with delivering news. Um, what else are you are, are what else are you covering right now? What other cases are you following? Well, I'm definitely watching vaccine mandate cases. There is um, one involving New York healthcare workers. Um, there's a law that requires New York healthcare workers to be vaccinated, and unlike the districts, does not allow for religious exemptions, even though they allow for medical exemptions. And a group of New York doctors and nurses have been fighting this injustice or this disparate treatment, and they're currently requesting the Supreme Court to look at it. They're represented again by the Thomas More Society, as well as Beckett Law, which it, people will probably remember that name as being the great defenders of the Little Sisters of the Poor and other really important religious freedom cases. There's also a case involving Navy SEALs who are object on the basis of religious objections to receiving the vaccine. And the Navy allows for an exemption, but has not granted one request. Mm. 
Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting, huh? <laughs> In name only, I guess. Um, yeah. So, well, Andrea, um, I invite our listeners to, to go to ncregister.com and to search religious freedom. And I am sure in doing so, y- you will see articles that pop up with Andrea Pachati Bayer, <laughs> our religious freedom columnist, really. Um, and you can, you can read about many of these cases right there in Andrea's work. Um, but really, I wanted to spend a lot of time this week talking about the series uh, that uh, uh, we launched last week, the Religious Freedom Matters third um, season. Um, this is the Register and the Conscience Project, who you work for. It's our attempt to uh, bring to podcast listeners um, all matters related to religious freedom. Um, and this time it was related to school choice in education. And um, sometimes I feel like that's a political term, uh, you know, uh, Andrea, but it's really not. What do we mean by uh, school choice, uh, when, when, especially in this context that you were covering? Well, Jeanette, you're absolutely right. For so long, people have considered school choice as being kind of in the context of politics and oftentimes limited to the quality of academics. But as we've seen public school systems, um, both not recognizing the authority of parents and being vehicles to promote ideas, ideologies that are contrary to most mainstream beliefs, um, and contrary especially to our beliefs as Catholics, it's becoming a religious freedom issue. And that was the focus of this, to connect the notion of school choice and parents being able to select the right school for their children, which is a foundational teaching of, of the Catholic Church, um, with the, you know, the, their principles and their belief systems. Um, we know that there are some states across the country that are starting to look at allowing for greater flexibility of using government funds to support students to go to private schools, um, that should be something that all states are considering, especially um, at this important time and place um, during the pandemic where we're really worried that our public schools maybe aren't thinking about the children and their best interests, but other interests. So it was fantastic to have um, Bishop Thomas Daly from Spokane, Washington, who's the chair of the USCCB's um, Committee on Catholic Education. But we also brought in some lay leaders in not only the school choice movement, but what I like to call the renewal of Catholic education. We want to make sure that our Catholic schools are places where families not only are going to receive kind of the best education academically, but the perfect truth and beauty of the Catholic formation for their children. Well, you noted that Bishop Daly was very impressive, um, and in the experts, the, the other he and others made the point that the stronger the Catholic schools, the better argument for school choice, but there is that direct tie to religious freedom, isn't there? Well, and that was one thing that we we talked about with um, a number of the experts, making sure that our schools, if they agreed to collaborate in any kind of school choice initiative, there wouldn't be strings attached. And we've got some protections in the law for internal hiring decisions of people that qualify as ministers. And so certain teachers, religion teachers, for example, um, will qualify as ministers. And so the government can't get in and question those decisions. But there's always a danger when you partner with the government that the government might take over. And so um, Sean Peter 
Peterson in particular from Catholic Education Partners has been working kind of on the ground level in various states to come up with um, school choice initiatives and make sure that any initiatives that are passed have that religious freedom protections in place, especially for religious schools. Absolutely, Andrea. I mean, that, that distinction is very important, but also so many of your, um, of your interviewees or your guests um, just made the point uh, that the Catholic schools themselves need to stand out and differentiate. Like, if, if uh, they truly want to be different and an alternative, um, they need to shine in the matters of faith. And, and in that way, whenever we make religious freedom arguments, we have a much stronger fit, footing, you know, because we are following what our faith teaches. Um, we're actually practicing it and not just offering some, you know, private education, um, but, but a truly distinct Catholic identity. I love that about so many of your interviews. And I also loved it about so many of the comments um, from people who listen um, to your interviews, and so uh, I, you know, I think our audience is awesome. They they know the value of this, and and we love to hear from them. I encourage our listeners to go to ncregister.com, uh, click on the tab at the top, Religious Freedom Matters. You could listen right there um, on ncregister.com, but you can also find us on any of the podcast platforms platforms. So Spotify, Apple, wherever you want to listen, subscribe to Religious Freedom Matters. It's a joint effort uh, with Andrea Pachati bayer um, from the Conscience Project and also Joan Frawley Desmond um, from the Register. So Andrea, thank you so much for doing that. It's a great initiative. We look forward to the next um, season. No, and thank you guys so much for giving us the chance to be able to bring this to your readers and to listeners. It's it's an, a great way, especially if you're in the minivan a lot like I am, to be <laughs> able to get to get informed and and also to let those little ears that are listening hear about these wonderful, great things that are happening in our church in our country. Thank you, Andrea. So this is Register Radio on EWTN. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll talk to Father Raymond D'Souza about the consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Stay tuned for more. This Lenten season, read, reflect, and revive your faith with EWTN's National Catholic Register. Only the Register provides trusted news reporting and in-depth analysis that's always true to Catholic teaching. It informs, inspires, and equips Catholics to engage the world around them with the truth of the gospel. Let the Register accompany you, help you go deeper spiritually, and enrich your journey this Lent and beyond. Try it for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of The Register. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News Executive Director. Last week, the Holy Father announced his decision that he would consecrate Russia and Ukraine 
to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation. On the same day, in Portugal, Cardinal Conrad Krzyzewski, I'm terrible with my Polish, Matthew can correct me. Krajewski. Krajewski, thank you, will make the same act of consecration. Of course, the reason uh, for this uh, Portugal reference is that it's based on Our Lady's apparition in Fatima, where she told the children that the Immaculate Heart would triumph. And so here we are asking for the Immaculate Heart uh, to triumph in this terrible time of war uh, with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, Father Raymond D'Souza this week has has written about the historical context of this, uh, illuminating us all. Matthew, of course, you and Father Raymond could probably talk for an hour <laughs> about the historical references here, but we, we have a very short amount of time uh, to talk about this and, and the other wonderful uh, historical uh, event that took place 400 years ago, the uh, the Saint... The Saints of 1622, as uh, Father titles it in his, in his columns. So, without much further ado, I want to welcome back on to Register Radio, Father Raymond D'Souza, who we haven't spoken to in a while. Welcome, Father Raymond. It's nice to be back after a long time. I have so much I want to ask you about this um, consecration uh, to Russia. Uh, excuse me, oh my gosh, consecration of Russia <laughs> to the Immaculate Heart. It's, it generates such um, consternation sometimes um, from so many uh, corners <laughs> of the church uh, that there's, I think, a lot to, uh, to, to clarify. Um, mm-hmm. You uh, place the reason for this consecration um, further back than Fatima. Um, and you give right. historical context um, for what's going to happen on March 25th. Uh, uh, 2022, and it dates 18 years, you said, before Fatima. Right. What happened, and, and where are we well, resting this on? Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea of consecrating the world, or the human race, or a particular part of it, to the heart of Mary, actually uh, has its roots at the end of the 19th century, 1899, getting ready for the great jubilee year of 1900. Uh, Pope Leo XIII decided to dedicate, consecrate the entire human race to the sacred heart of Jesus. This had been suggested for some decades before, but he took that step. So that was the sort of the key point of that 1900 year, 1900 jubilee. Leo thought it was a very important part of his long pontificate. And so that got the idea sort of put the idea out that you could consecrate the whole world, you know, to, in this case, the heart, sacred heart of Jesus. So in Fatima, which took place 18 years after that, uh, when Our Lady spoke, speaking to the children visionaries, said uh, she would like the Pope, with all the bishops of the world, to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart because Russia was spreading its, quote, errors to the world. It was the year of the Bolshevik Revolution, recall. Um, at that time, people in their memory, it was only 18 years prior, would have thought, okay, we know about consecrations, and Our Lady's asking for this. And because within about 10 years of the Fatima apparitions, the Church had given a lot of credence to it. Uh, people knew about it. Um, it was widely accepted that these were authentic. Uh, the the two, two of the children already died and had a reputation for holiness by that time. Uh, so this was what was favorably received. And what I show in what I wrote uh, last week was that um, several popes, starting with 
Pius the Twelfth in 1942 uh, did consecrations. Uh, he consecrated um, the world to the Immaculate Heart in 1942 during the Second World War. Interestingly enough, as a bit of historical trivia, Pius XII was actually consecrated a bishop in the Sistine Chapel on the very day of the first Fatima apparition, May 13th, 1917, which is not important, but interesting. Um, and then in 1942, as the 1952, rather 10 years later, Pius consecrated Russia and her people to the Immaculate Heart, whereas Stalinism was uh, gripping Eastern Europe. Uh, Pope Paul VI uh, also uh, renewed that consecration. John Paul II in 1982, when he went to Fatima a year after the assassination attempt, which took place on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, uh, to give thanks for his life being spared, renewed that consecration or entrustment. And then finally, in 1984, because as you said, there were some controversies about whether this consecration had been done properly, uh, whether the Pope um, had followed the request of uh, Our Lady in Fatima, in 1984, on March 25th, uh, during the special Jubilee Year of the Redemption, in union with all the bishops of the world, John Paul made that consecration of the entire world and Russia uh, to the Immaculate Heart. And in 1989, Sister Lucia, the surviving Fatima visionary, said it had been done properly. And as we know, that was the same time that the uh, Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union was dissolved. So that's the long history. Um, what's very unusual about what's going to happen this week is that uh, instead of being planned for a year or more in advance, this was asked for by the Ukrainian Catholic bishops of the Latin Rite on Ash Wednesday. And uh, Two weeks later, they've agreed to do it, and it's going to be done in just a few days um, on the same, on the anniversary date, same feast day of the Annunciation that John Paul did in 1984. Yeah, uh, Father, uh, this one does seem different from past ones. Uh, what does make this uh, so different? Well, it's being done with a sense of emergency, Matthew, right? The, the request came only a few weeks ago. It's going to be done just in a few days' time. Um, and it's consecrating two countries that are currently in a shooting war, um, specifically, so Russia and Ukraine in the context of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, so it doesn't have quite the global you know, sense of the whole world or the whole human race or for all purposes, it's a very specifically focused um, a consecration. Uh, and I think the reason speculating that the Holy See responded favorably was because the urgency of the whole world feels about this, uh, about this war. It's certainly a tremendous moment um, for all of us, I think, to join in that prayer. Um, I think in, in many ways um, we need to focus <laughs> Uh, on the prayer itself and, and, and see the continuity in what has gone in the past. I did want to ask, though, and, and this is about the 1622 canonization. I loved reading and editing those articles that you submitted. They were so much fun to find photos for and, and, and just wonderful. You called uh, the March 12th, 1622 canonization the greatest canonization ever. And the reason yes. is very simple. I mean, these are the saints. St. Teresa of Avila, Francis Xavier, Ignatius of Loyola, Philip Nere, and St. Isidore of Madrid. Wow. How did this happen? Yeah. Not 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 a bad little bunch, wouldn't you say? So, um, what's interesting about it is that um, the four 
well-known uh, giants of the Catholic Reformation, uh, Teresa of Avila, Philip Neri, Ignatius Loyola, and Francis Xavier, were, were by 1621, 1620, they were getting ready to be canonized. The actual canonization was set for March 12th was uh, done at the request of the Spanish king, who was looking to sort of consolidate his a bit of you know national spirit with the canonization of Isidore the farmer, who's from a few centuries earlier. He died in 1130. So that was the plan, uh, canonize the patron saint of Madrid. And somehow between that plan being launched and uh, March 12, 1622, they decide, well, we're going to have a canonization. Why don't we add the others in the pipeline? And the pipeline was pretty good. So these four giants of the Counter-Reformation were, uh, were canonized altogether. They were really the answer that God gave to the uh, crisis uh, in the church in the 16th century. They, they were people who offered different responses. You know, Teresa of Avila is talking about reforming the interior life of a Carmelite community, which is largely cloistered. Ignatius is founding an order that's going to go to the ends of the earth, right? So there's um, there's a magnificence in the four of them together. They all belong to the same period. They they knew each they knew each other knew of each other certainly. Ignatius and Philip lived just down the street from each other in Rome. So um, there are big canonizations in history, but uh, none quite. Uh, it's hard to imagine that you could ever have one with four figures that. Uh, that's significant for both church and world history. And of course, they knew each other. Some of them knew each right. other. And I love that. The second piece, um, it's mm -hmm. called the Saints of 1622, Holy People Have Holy Companions. Uh, you chronicle who knew who. It, it's awesome. Right. I mean, it's like college roommates, right? <laughs> well, uh, not like. They, Francis Xavier Ignatius of Loyola were college roommates, and the third roommate in that group is also canonized St. Peter Faber. So, uh, yeah, saints know saints. Well, that old joke that they travel in packs. Yes, they do. And in fact, the least well-known of these um, these five, St. Isidore, the farmer of Madrid, his wife is a canonized saint. So not just in packs, even in marriages. How about that? Oh, I love that. I love that. And then, of course, it was him because of Madrid that um, it was because of him that all of these saints were together in this group. So. Father D'Souza, this was, I have to say, these, these set of columns were some of my favorite that you've ever written, just because... Wow, thank you. They, they, it was great writing, um, first of all, and then second of all, it, it, it lifted me up. I mean, we're in dark times, and there right. are saints right now um, right. who are, 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 are set for this time, and, um, and we've got to look for them, and we've got to be them, if we can, um, with God's grace. And so I will leave our listeners um, with this uh, wonderful uh, line that you wrote uh, in the second piece, which is the Saints of 1622, Holy People Have Holy Companions. You write, soldiers of saintly sorts, reformers of radical sorts, companions of a challenging sort, friends of a fearless sort. These are the saints of 1622. And with that, I invite our listeners to go ahead and read these columns. They're worth it. Just search Saints of 1622, and you will find it at ncregister.com. Thank you so much, Father Raymond. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you, Matthew. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, to check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. Until next week, God bless you.